Star Wars is so vast in terms of the universe that the visual palette can be very broad. And it's really for us as designers to find that perfect tone of paying homage to the original trilogy and then pushing it and taking a step forward into the future, projecting forward. And I find that challenge really exciting. And for us, it's also you know, really figuring out, okay, how do we design in a very specific box? Because we often have to think about the limitations of time, resource, and budget. And so it's both of those factors where you're trying to push the creative aspect as far as you can while being very respectful for how we actually execute this. Early on in the development, we weren't quite sure where the story was going to go. So we actually had about two months of just blue sky um, concept of work. And that was really fun because then that was the opportunity for us to just kind of throw out there a bunch of ideas, imagery that we want to see in the movie. And hopefully one of those will stick. And some of those ex early explorations actually work because, I mean, I grew up uh, with the classic films. And I've always wanted to draw the classic films. And so we knew that this film was taking place 30 years after Return of the Jedi. We'll probably see some classic ships. And so for me, it was really like, okay, well, what's the next generation of the X-Wing? And so those ideas, we knew that there was going to be an X-Wing, there's going to be a Stormtrooper. You know, so there were going to be new interpretations of the classic designs. And that really appealed to me. Jason. And this is Gabe. This week we are talking all about the art of The Force Awakens, the amazing book by our friend Phil Sostak. Getting ready for this episode, I came to the realization I have not looked at this book in way too long. And I think I say that with every time we do like an art of art of episode where it's like, why haven't I looked at this book in so long? There's so much amazing stuff in this thing. <laughs> Well, and this one is extra special just because it is like the beginning of the new era of Star Wars stuff. It was kind of the, I think it was the first like any sort of making of behind the scenes book that came out for the sequel trilogy. And we knew so little about anything that was <laughs> to come. Like now it seems like there's been so much stuff since then with. The three sequel trilogy movies, the two standalone movies, Clone Wars is back, Bad Batch is back. We've had two seasons of Mandalorian. Like, there's so much new Star Wars that it's kind of, it just feels really strange going back to this book when, like, this is all we had of what new Star Wars could be. 
And that's kind of what we're, we're focusing on with this episode is the really fascinating period of time that is so well documented in this book of what they call the blue sky period, where it's artists, amazing artists getting together, working with the people involved in the story and everyone and just kind of spitballing of what is Star Wars? What does Star Wars look like? And this new movie we're making, how are we going to simultaneously go backwards and go forwards? Like that, or backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. Like that, or backwards and forwards. They were going backwards with going back to a more original trilogy kind of look because this is episode seven following return of the Jedi, but also going forwards because this is a movie that is going to come out in 2015 and not, you know, 1999 or 2005 or not 1977 or 1983. Like this has got to be a modern movie for a modern audience, but it also has to be futuristic retro in a kind of specific star Wars way. And it's like, a seemingly impossible task to try and pull that off. Well, and the whole idea of doing this really without George Lucas, and what does that even mean? And I think that makes this time period very, very different than really any of the kind of making of pre-production times Star Wars has ever had, because there wasn't the one guy who can tell you if it's the right thing or not there and there's these people who are trying to rediscover the essence of what they think the essence of this thing is and we'll get into really how much rick carter was that guy that whose job was to just figure out what is the essence of this thing and how do people who aren't george lucas tap into this otherworldliness but familiarness of the Star Wars universe. Because going through it too, it it almost kind of reminds me of reading Rinsler's Making of Empire Strikes Back book, where there was that brief period of time with like the Lee Brackett draft, where things were kind of getting kind of wild and out there. And there was just a lot of ideas being thrown out there. I mean, that the whole thing with that was, what is the sequel to Star Wars? And what's the next adventure for these characters? Until things kind of did really kind of get reined in and, but yeah, like there always was kind of that one kind of singular vision, putting a fabuloso stamp on everything. <laughs> like who who's there to write no over the lines in the script and <laughs> the exclamation point no. And yeah, like you said, Rick Carter's role in all this, like we're going to be talking about him a lot because I feel like he is a very underrated person in creating this this new era of Star Wars that we're still literally now in the thick of. But without The Force Awakens being the movie that it was and being as special as that movie was and just kind of nailing it in just the right parts. I, I think we talked about this, I think, last year in our Saga Year episode, but you know, you imagine this dark alternate reality where if the force if the force awakens was horrible <laughs> yeah i don't even know where we would be <laughs> because 
I don't think Disney would have stopped making movies. I, or would they have? Would it have been just like this was a bad this was a bad idea to buy Star Wars. We're just gonna we'll re release the Blu rays. But it's like that that wasn't an option. Like the movie had to be great. And what does that mean? Like for Star Wars Episode Seven, and what an impossibly hard task. And the stages that are documented in this book that the movie went through, I don't know, kind of show you how they got there. Yeah, and what you're saying about Rick Carter, I think, is definitely is important because when you read this book, you you realize he's technically what a production designer, I think, is his title, but he's really a self-help guy for movie, for movie creators. He's just such a uh, interesting guy who kind of, it seems like made his own kind of position in entertainment of like just channeling creative energy of people and focusing people who are maybe hard to focus because they're just very creative and have tons of ideas. And it's just, I don't know. It's, it is one of the most interesting things in the book and even more so because before this book even came out, just hearing him talk at the celebration panel before the movie even came out kind of messed us up. (laughs) We've talked about this before. But guess what? We're going to talk about it again. Imagine that. If you've been listening to this show long enough, you know that's kind of a trend. Right. But it was one of the defining moments for, I think, for making Blast Points, too. There was the Spina's Cantina panel, and I think it was the Art of Force Awakens panel that we went to when we had only seen the the trailer the the two teaser trailers for the force awakens and we're watching a panel about like with rick carter and doug chang and like christian alsman up there and we didn't know anything about rick carter and here he is on stage at celebration anaheim and he's asking us in the audience and we were in like the, the front or row or like the third row from the front or something and he's asking the audience like have you ever really thought about what is the force Really, what is the force? And we were so Star Wars crazy that weekend. And we're sitting there and like, we're in church. And we're like, yeah, what is the force? (laughs) And he's just doubly great because on one hand, he's like, you know, going into a room full of very creative people and asking them, you know, really almost ludicrous questions like, you know, what is the force? And like trying to figure that out. And then on the other hand, there's a great, quote from him uh i can't remember what podcast he was on and he was talking about working with james cameron on avatar and how james cameron came up to him all angry about something and saying how he's better than all the department heads and he could make the whole movie himself (laughs) and rick carter was like yeah but it would never come out (laughs) just being this kind of voice of reason for all these very eccentric people i mean people making movies creative people are kind of weirdos and here's this like super weirdo that can like channel all this weirdo energy and it's exactly kind of the right kind of guy you need to get star wars going there's a great quote from from rick carter in the forward to the art of force awakens book that i think is uh very appropriate for for us as we go forward into this kind of period of history 
in Star Wars history and Star Wars, the, the folklore of the behind the scenes. The quote is, when I first met with George in December of 2012, it was clear that we would be embarking on an intergenerational handoff. I was hoping for some guidance on how he viewed the process of letting it all go and where to explore further. In a very Yoda-like manner, he mentioned something to me that the end of our talk struck me as significant. When he was a younger filmmaker, images appeared to him as if he were looking through binoculars, very close and very vivid. Now that he was getting older, imagery appeared as if the binoculars were turned around and he was seeing it all from a greater distance with deeper perspective. I thought this was a very profound visual point of reference for him to express, and I think it represents why he's been able to let Star Wars go, to see it has a life beyond him. I think that is just so very Rick Carter, too, to kind of take this this Yoda-like thing that George is saying about how George is viewing his past work and his future, and they, you know, he's already hired to do this bizarre job of kind of taking this thing that George Lucas created and help getting it going and build up an art department and get this ball rolling that, you know, like we said, this ball that eventually leads to everything that's going on now. Well, that's yeah. back to what I said before, where it's almost like he didn't do anything, but he did everything. In here, they're talking about how he didn't know they were making another Star Wars movie. And when he found out, he basically offered to help in whatever capacity she needed. Like he just wanted to be there to help make this thing happen. And maybe that's the best way to describe what he does is he's the guy there to help everybody make everything happen. When I love too that he, he's talking about how the first meeting he had with these, this group of amazing artists, the first things he asked them is how strong is the force? <laughs> what is the force to us now? What does it mean not just what you say it means, what does it truly mean to you? And what he said to those artists in the first meetings of figuring out what the future of Star Wars is going to be is what he said to to us crazies sitting in the audience at Celebration Anaheim. And look where we are today, <laughs> 270 episodes later. <laughs> So maybe we interpreted it wrong, but at least <laughs> at least we re- we rolled with it. The production designer is the person who's uh, responsible for designing the world the movie takes place in, but it's kind of a magic trick because it really is involved with creating suspension of disbelief. If you're watching with the idea that you're watching what we've done, then you're not in the movie. You could be admiring the movie, but you're not in the movie. You're not empathizing with the characters. They're not meeting you halfway in that space that's not even on the screen. Your process always evolves. For me, it's actually very important not to know what I'm doing, to actually be exploring at all times. Every movie is a different movie. It's a new exploration. I always go into it looking for that blank canvas to begin with, not preconceptions, and find that level that I can collaborate on. So yeah, as in all of Phil Sostek's incredible art of books, along with the amazing art, there is 
fascinating, 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 fascinating behind the scenes text telling you information that you don't get anywhere else. And the art of force awakens is no exception. This book goes through kind of month by month in kind of this magic period of basically 2013, where as each month goes by, what we know as The Force Awakens, Episode 7, slowly kind of starts to take shape. And along the way, there's some fascinating side roads that could have been taken and explorations. And like we said, this is like what they call like the blue sky period. There was a panel at Celebration Europe where Doug Chang was talking about this period of time. He, he reveals he, they had a wonderful name for this this kind of riffing. And what's fun is that, you know, Rick has been my mentor for my whole career, and I've been wanting to work back with him for like over 10 years. And so this was a real great opportunity for me to work back with Rick. And so the first, yeah, when we spoke, we were just starting to get into it. And we had basically about three months worth of blue sky concept work, working with the story team. In the first month or so, we actually did a thing called Rick's Riff. And that's where Rick encouraged us, and we all encouraged each other to just like blue sky stuff. Turn off your left brain and just come up with crazy ideas, and maybe something will stick. The drive to create, it comes from a very deep place. I think that that's essentially something I've, for whatever reason, been put here to do. So early on in 2013, Michael Arndt is still working on the script. JJ hasn't been announced yet, but is kind of talking to everybody. But the concept team is still working. And they're doing something that Rick Carter calls guided imagery, where the artists were encouraged to dig deep. Rick's quote is, you're in a waking dream state and learn to say what comes to your mind. You pick up on little things and follow them, which is what allowed me to become a production designer. But the idea is kind of keeping things more or less symbolic. It doesn't have to have anything to do with the movie. It's more about even just inspiring other discussions or ideas. And this is kind of where Rick got into, you know, how strong is the force? Who is Luke Skywalker? Kind of big questions that are open to interpretation. And it was up to the artists or even as uh, he started to call them visualists because they were bringing in people like John Noel, Dennis Buren, Roger Goyet from ILM, just kind of getting all the creatives involved with these big picture questions. There's a great Rick Carter quote in the art of force awakens book where it's accompanying this this very early on Eric Tiemann's painting of Felucia Canyon with this Jedi-like character. We assume it's a Jedi. I don't know. They've got a lightsaber. The Morning Falcon's down there. And Rick says, I don't care what anything looks like. I really don't. I have total faith it's going to look wonderful. I want it to be a great movie because it's infused with the spirit of the Force. <laughs> That's a Rick riff. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> There's just something about Star Wars and people named Rick just saying the wild stuff. What I love, there's a quote uh, just on the very next page. 
again, Rick Carter hands a stack of random stills from Akira Kurosawa movies to Kiri Hart and asked her to use them to tell the story of Episode 7. The five chosen image from films such as Rashomon and the Hidden Fortress perfectly illustrated Kira, who eventually would become Ray's, journey of self-discovery from fearful force-sensitive to master. He's kind of like a kindergarten teacher a little bit, (laughs) but for adults. That's true. Sitting around with a bunch of, you know, a bunch of amazing artists. No, really. How does this drawing make you feel? What are you feeling while you're doing it? Well, and speaking of Kira, too, just was it on just the very next page, there's this image I always think of with related to this period of time with what's supposed to be Kira and Sam, which Sam eventually, I think, becomes, I think, what eventually becomes Finn. I don't, it, it's hard to kind of compare these early versions to what actually ended up on screen. Well, this one's crazy because if you crop out the lower half and just look at their faces it looks almost you could almost say it's han and kira from solo right well and kira kira yeah sam looks exactly like river phoenix what i love too that the the caption on here screenwriter michael arndt would later describe these early versions of episode seven's young hero as kira being loner hothead gearheaded badass and sam as pure charisma Hopefully he was talking about the Kiss song. So yeah, on January 24th, is an interesting thing in here how Rick Carter and Doug Chang hosted a concept art presentation for Walt Disney Studio executives. And Doug Chang in the book says they took what they knew of Star Wars and what we would like to see in Star Wars and just blew it out. And there's a quote in here that Star Wars creator George Lucas provided his Episode Seven treatment to the project's creative team. And this is right around, yeah, when J.J. comes in. And, and that's kind of the thing going forward in this phase. It's almost like looking at a lot of this art, there are several different repeating things that start to show up, like Kira and Sam, the concept of Jedi killers. But also there's like totally wild things that don't fit into anything that we saw on screen in The Force Awakens. Yeah, because as you're thumbing through this and seeing, you know, you start to see the beginnings of Jakku. But then there's a big old picture of a drawing of Darth Talon by Ian McKaig. At the time the book came out, it was kind of like, well, that's weird. There's this character from the comic books in here. And then by the next page, they're kind of, you know, back onto Kira in the junk pile. But now, all these years later, and the, uh, the Tashin prequels book came out, and George Lucas talking about what his kind of outline for Episode 7 is, we now know that in his outline, Darth Talon was going to be a major character. The, the caption on it says, Darth Talon, comma, dark side of the Force. And yeah, in the art, there's like this ghostly demon hanging out behind Darth Talon, like, with his arms around her. And is that, like, a physical representation of, like, the dark side of the Force? I mean, that's some wild stuff. (laughs) Well, and it kind of puts, yeah, things in a different context that there 
was maybe two different versions kind of being worked on around this time. Because, you know, if you go read Lucas's description in the Tashin book, he was planning Darth Maul. An old Darth Maul was going to be the big villain who's now in charge of all the underworld groups. Darth Talon was his apprentice. And the overarching story was the battle between the fledgling Republic and all the crime syndicates that have kind of joined forces under Darth Maul. And, and it was about rebuilding the Jedi order and rebuilding the Republic. (laughs) Still, it still boggles the mind, (laughs) which seems like a pretty good outline of a new trilogy. It's easy to get focused too on like, George Lucas seemed to be really into Darth Talon (laughs) because I think there was an article about, wasn't one of the video games he wanted Darth Talon in it. She's a cosplay favorite. You always see her at conventions and she was created by John Ostrander and Jan Duersma, who way, 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 way back in Blast Points, we did an interview episode with them and she's from the old dark horse star Wars legacy comics. I don't know. I mean, that would have been really weird. <laughs> maybe, maybe not, though, because it's like, I think if you just focus on the Darth Talon part of it, it's weird. But if you focus on the rest of it, it kind of makes sense. The overall story kind of makes sense, but it it kind of sounds like what something the animated shows would do. And it's And that's what I think is not so weird about it, is anything that they did in the animated shows, if someone just told you, that that was the idea and you didn't see like Darth Maul coming back sounds stupid, <laughs> but they pulled it off and it ended up being a really cool addition to, to star Wars stories. So maybe it could have worked, but it seems like it would be, it's very different than what the secret trilogy that we got is, which makes it seem maybe weirder than it would have if he would have read this in 2012. It could then, just the next month in February, well, Ryan Church returns and we're getting some amazing Ian McKaig illustrations of Kira in the desert. And it's starting to feel a bit more like The Force Awakens. Yeah, so I almost wonder, since it seems like the Lucas outline wasn't really presented till kind of around the same time that JJ came on that maybe there is only a small amount of work based on that. And, you know, for all we know, maybe this is the only thing, maybe Ian McKay's like, Oh, I know her from the comics. I'm going to do a drawing. And then very quickly, they kind of moved on to trying to come up with something else. Yeah, Cause just a few pages later, there's a really interesting couple pages here where we've got Kira swimming underwater on the Death Star. There's Vader's old castle. And there's these Darth Talon storyboards by Ian McKaig of Darth Talon-like seduction. Well, on page 34, which is the same page next to the one with the storyboards, is kind of where the book feels different now, going back and looking at it. Because we start to get into things that we now know kind of inspired other things with the whole, you know, Vader's castle, 
coming back for Rogue One and the idea of the Death Star falling into water, which there's more concepts of later on, is something that was brought back for Rise of Skywalker. And that's always the fun thing with these books is going back to like the previous movie's book after the next movie comes out and seeing what what stuck around. Yeah, so then in March 2013, uh, Michael Arndt's outline continues. There's the Jedi killer characters who still don't really have an origin. There's Kira's home planet keeps getting worked on. The junk planet is still being worked on. The whole concept of like these neo imperials is kind of coming out like a super weapon. And we get into this whole really crazy period of time where they're messing around with this idea of a new Yoda like character, what they call him like the good Yoda, which there is some buck wild art in this book of this like old Yoda guy with like a goatee. <laughs> Well, it's what it's, Doug Chang says. He took uh, a loose pencil sketch of a, of a Yoda-like character from Ralph McQuarrie, and he did his own version just to see if it could be something. And it is something. There's a lot of stuff in here, too, that I thought was really interesting. This character, John Doe, who we get right around this time and in April, goes through a lot of transitions as a character. He's a Jedi. He's a bounty hunter. Then he's a Republic guy with a valuable droid. Of course, later becomes Poe. At one point, he has like a Wookiee companion. Well, and and on the page with the Wookiee companion, we have uh, somebody riding a lizard, which unfortunately didn't make it into any of the movies, but at least they were thinking about it. I hope when they were trying to figure out what was Star Wars, somebody wrote on a whiteboard riding on a giant lizard. That was a Rick riff. What does it mean to you, someone riding on a giant lizard? He, he posted up the picture of George Lucas sitting on the dewback. Well, then what? In April 2013, the story's moving forward. And now, with, yeah, they figure out that the male lead called Sam would start the film as a stormtrooper. And the whole thing with one of his stormtrooper buddies is shot and marks Sam's helmet with the bloody fingerprints. Kira is a scavenger. Uh, there's an alien junk dealer in the mix and it's it's fascinating while there there are things that are being locked down and almost, i feel like darth talon is now completely gone out of the mix and you see the art starting to take shape it's all still kind of very vague and they're still kind of using like the guided imagery kind of but things start to look more familiar in for what we know as episode seven yeah well what's really interesting is even like on page 41, which is, we're still very early in the book, but there's a concept of a snow fight by Eric Tiemens and McKaig that is pretty much the end of the movie. And above that is some ruffians, uh, some market bad guys, which is very much the flashback scene with the Knights of Ren. Like, these are kind of images that really ended up in the final film that are already here you know, in 2013. And was in May 2013, the story is still working along. The production crew starts to take shape. Rick Carter is considering hiring a co-production designer. Michael Kaplan is brought in as costume designer. Neil Scanlon is hired as creature effects supervisor. There's two new locations introduced. There's 
crime city and exotic city, which crime city is what they're, they're thinking where the new young heroes first encounter a down and out Han Solo and exotic city is the new rebel base. And Rick Carter brings in John Knoll, Roger Guyot, and Dennis Murin into the art department. And in, in a meeting, he's trying to pick their brains about like the a super weapon that the Neo-Imperial has and what Dennis Murin says, well, it's called Star Wars. Where's our big thematic war in space? And Dennis mentions something like, what if they have the ability to take the energy of a star? One of the conversation, and it was just a conversation about what would actually frighten you if the dark side was to reemerge, and that was before we thought about awakening, but just the idea that it would come back. And it was actually Dennis Murin who thought, well, what if you could take the light out of the sky? That's darkness. And it was one of those things that it was a vision without an image. And then as we tried to make that into something that we could work with, J.J. said, and then we could turn that into a weapon. So each, at each step, it would become more, or, or the, the idea of a Nuremberg-esque rally that's not really just a rally, it, it leads to something that's really um, serious. And so the funny thing is that the movie's pretty serious. And oh, what I wouldn't give for a recording of the conversation between John Knoll, Dennis Murin, Rick Carter... Yeah, hopefully there's there's a tape of that somewhere that someone can find in a in a box in the trash in 20 years. So then what in June, Darren Guilford is introduced as to the art department as the new co-production designer. And Rick Carter was riffing, saying, I'm going to try and guide it to where I think it can go. But I can't be taking up a lightsaber and fighting a duel with a bunch of young Jedi. They're young. They're talented. It's their time. It is really great and very Star Wars that he felt like he needed to bring in some younger talent and give them a chance and kind of mentor them and have some of this movie be their movie and not just the old guys. No, it's true. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's a neat thing because it, it's a very Lucasfilm thing, you know, even going back to you know, when we talk about the Ewok movies and stuff and how they were as much an excuse to let some of the ILM people have a chance to learn and do some other stuff and kind of what happened and still continues to happen with the animation group of people coming in on one show and then eventually having bigger roles as the new shows come around. And same sort of thing here with the movie of just kind of bringing in some younger talent and giving them a some direction and a chance to to shine kind of around this period of time there's all exploration still going on with the jedi killer concept and on page 79 there's a now kind of infamous piece of art it's called jedi killer contemplation by christian alsman and the quote is but from christian alsman this is back when the macguffin was the melted helmet of Vader. I did a few paths of designing what a new meditation chamber would look like. And it's this Jedi killer holding the Vader helmet. And this is one of the pieces that leaked out really early that drove us all absolutely insane. And people thought the Jedi killer was Luke Skywalker because they're wearing like a black cloak over the top of their head. Well, also because there was a... There was another image with the leaks where it was like the Phantom of the Opera kind of face 
two where that one was like, oh, maybe that's Cyborg Luke. Because this one's pretty much full on robot face, but it does have the Luke Skywalker hand. When something we've got to remember too with all this stuff, like the the Vader helmet, the MacGuffin, the the Darth Talon and all this stuff, a lot of it is, and this is repeated a lot with people that work on the movies, that concept art is concept art. It is not final film art. I think sometimes because we're fans, very passionate fans, a lot of us, the people that are reading these books and talking about them, that I think sometimes we emphasize too much the things that maybe are just kind of whims, you know? And if we read something like, you know, the Vader's helmet was going to be a MacGuffin, you know, our, our mind immediately goes to what well, there was a whole other storyline or something, but it may have just been, what if we did this? <laughs> well, I think going through this book is really kind of neat too, for the fact that this movie is almost like the star Wars movie production process to the extreme where over the course of the prequels, they kind of started letting the concept team kind of go wild early on as the script was being written as kind of inspiration for the script. Force Awakens kind of pushed the limits of that of at times almost having no story (laughs) and kind of, seeing what the visuals are. And I mean, I think that kind of sounds like what Rick Carter was doing as far as like figuring out what feels right and building a story from that. Because I think at this point we haven't even Lawrence Kasdan hasn't even come on. Right. You know, Kasdan at least isn't announced until October. Yeah. And we're still in June. So from when he came on to when he was announced is, is probably different, but I mean, so it really is potentially the most open ended pre-production because even with when they decided to go back and do the prequels there was the old old outlines from the original movie as inspiration and there was kind of an idea of what they wanted to do where with this it really was like we only have one chance to kind of start this over what do we really want to do and just seeing you know how kind of open-ended it was at this point is really it's amazing that we got the movie that we did and that that it worked it's easy to look at this book and be like oh look at all the ideas they had or look at this or like why didn't they do this or why didn't they this or why didn't they go in district blah 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 and like but i think that's the whole thing is you've got to look at the whole thing like a rick riff and you've got to kind of remember what they're saying in the beginning of the book and what Rick Carter is saying over and over again, that this is guided imagery. And it really is make art and make art and make art and keep making art and keep talking about not just what Star Wars looks like and what Jedi and Sith and Jedi killers and scavengers and stormtroopers and ships and all this stuff look like. But I think through the process of just endlessly making art and discussing it, we're going to find the core of it all. (laughs) And from that core, they had to hope and assume that the magic would come. And in, you know, in our opinion, I think it did. What ended up on screen, I think was the right way to go. Well, and I think part of the, the, the weirdness, if anything too, is when you have some of the best, if not the best concept artists in the world 
some of these like kind of you could almost say throwaway concepts they look so good that it seems like they need they should mean more than they do and that's where some of the disconnect is is like this stuff looks incredible why wasn't this in the movie and in reality it was like it was never even intended to be in the movie it was just hey this let's make something cool that will hopefully inspire something else cool that will eventually inspire something else cool and that will end up in the movie but then also while they're doing this there's the the reality that this has to be a movie like soon and <laughs> sets need to start being built as much fun as they're having riffing on what star wars means to them they're still kind of like hey we need to get going here <laughs> so at this point as the book goes on the movie kind of becomes a normal movie and there's you know there's a script and there's sets and they're filming and the concept kind of concepts kind of have to shift more to being ideas for things that are planning to be filmed or are being filmed. And we're kind of leaving this blue sky guided imagery time of production. And this is kind of the end of the last time that the future of star Wars was so open ended because we now have a sequel trilogy. We now have this new era and a lot of this blue sky period has kind of, inspired a lot of what's come since then. And there's now this new baseline to build from that there wasn't there in 2012, 2013 when they were doing this. I mean, this, this period of time, it's amazing that it's now like eight years ago, but in 10 more years, in 20 more years, I think this book is going to just serve as just a fascinating document of yeah, that period of time, Star Wars is coming back in such a major way. And it really was in such a Star Wars way, too, of letting the visuals guide it into where it's going. And, yeah, with yeah our underrated hero, Rick Carter, acting as a Yoda, <laughs> telling everyone they must unlearn what they've learned. <laughs> well, and at some point in the future when we get back to future star wars because that is i think something to think about that we do have all this new star wars happening but at the moment most of it is kind of in the middle of all the other star wars and that you know there's gonna be a time when something in the future happens again and i gotta think you know that this is like the new bible for that of like what does star wars in the future looks like it started here we're moving it ahead into the future but we had to understand the basic premise look feel whatever it was that would start to make us all find that intuitive sense of recognizing what was in fact star wars and what wasn't and it's funny because we get asked this all the time well how did you know and it is this feeling that you develop after a while when you start to get a real a deeper understanding of where ralph mccrory and some of the 
early designers came up with the with the look of Star Wars, which I have to say, every time we would go back to Ralph McQuarrie's artwork, <laughs> it was just incredible what he what he created. Oh, that was a forward. That was a forward. Oh, that was a forward. All right, so this is the time in the episode where we go through the book and we pick some of our favorite pieces of art that are in the entire book. If you've got the book, The Art of Force Awakens, near you, go ahead, open it up with us, flip through it. If you've got a friend that has it, go to their house, take it off their shelf, sit down on their couch, and be like, I'm listening to Blast Points, and they're talking about their favorite art in The Art of Force Awakens book. Leave me alone. Gabe, what's your first one? So for my first one, I'm going to start at the end, and it is when the second to last page, there's no page numbers anymore. I think if you count, it would be 255, and it's from Dermot Power, and it's Jedi Killer Gothface. It must have come late enough because it looks like Adam Driver, but it's Adam Driver with the weird Phantom of the Opera cyborg face and a robot hand and a crazy Count Dooku Metal talon lightsaber. It's got like a, a Terminator eye. It's yeah. Marilyn Manson Sith Lord. Yeah, with the with a <laughs> with the robot hand and it's wild. It seems like if someday they ever do the concept art figures of the sequel trilogy characters, this is a good candidate for the super goth Kylo Ren. There's not enough cosplay of Jedi Killer Goth face. <laughs> I'm gonna pick on page ninety-eight. Falcon Chase Version 1 by Doug Chang. TIE Fighter chasing the Millennium Falcon into the engine of a Star Destroyer. It's pretty much what we saw on screen, but there's just something kind of Ralph McQuarrie-ish looking about it, and it's it's just so Star Wars. I don't know. Maybe it's TIE Fighter, it's Millennium Falcon. There's just such incredible movement in it, and I love that Doug Chang illustrated like the lasers coming off the tie fighters and stuff and you can hear this illustration it's just it there's something about this that just screams force awakens to me all right the next one i'm going to pick is on page 62 i believe it's called death star by doug chang and it's just this like alien planet and there's a crash star destroyer and and it you know in the caption they say that you know, they decided not to have this happen because the Star Destroyer was already on Jakku. But my favorite part of this picture is on the right-hand corner, there is a Mon Calamari, and next to it is, like, straight out of a science textbook, a picture of a, I think they're called tardigrades or water bears. They're like these little microscopic things that look like weird six-legged Space aliens, and he just has a giant version hanging out in the grass, and I don't know. I wish we had one of those in Star Wars, so I like this picture. My next one is on page 131. It's by Glenn Dillon, and it's Jedi Killer Concept Amended. And it's like the Jedi Killer's album cover, (laughs) where he's got like a tube going in his mouth, it's like an intestine kind of thing, and he's like just holding his hand up, like what? Yeah. He's just chilling, sitting down. It's so weird. 
it's just bizarre. What was going on with these Jedi killers in the movie? What were they thinking? They're just throwing everything out there and what looks evil in a Star Wars kind of way. And I like Glenn Dillon's quote, too, because he's like, the Jedi killer design was like trying to land a helicopter on a penny. We couldn't be too Vader-ish, but we couldn't reference something else too heavily either. And So weird. So incredible. I'm glad you picked this one because I thought about picking this one. <laughs> All right. So my next one is on page 104. And it's another Doug Chang one, but it's uh, I think it's titled Neo Adat. And it's his super crazy giant head beetle version of an Adat. I don't know. It's a cool painting and it's a cool design and it's like the wildness of the prequels, but almost in a original trilogy style. It's got like destroyer droid legs or something, but it's got like the completely asymmetricalness of kind of the original trilogy. Really cool. My next one is on pages 152 and 153 by Matt Alsop, just titled Bunker Entrance Jungle. Again, it's a very Macquarie-esque kind of illustration of the resistance base. And you got like a guy like working on an X-Wing and there's just like rebel people just like running around. And I don't know. I think I'm just like a sucker for that. (laughs) Spent too much time looking at my Ralph Macquarie portfolios when I was a kid and making up stories in my head about what these little guys do running around and stuff. And no, it's just a really moody, awesome two-page spread well my next one is the next page 154 it's called chamber it's by uh niles klein looks like he just stole (laughs) boris boris carlos face from the mummy but as the emperor or snoke or whoever it was but it's just a very very creepy way to do a hologram scene i mean it's pretty much the empire strikes back hologram scene but even creepier yeah it's got a very like 1984 like big brother is watching kind of look to it and yeah i love that one too just real real creepy and yeah it takes me back to force awakens in general and being like what the heck is snoke (laughs) okay so my last one it's on pages 248 and 249 it's by Yannick Dussault. I'm probably completely mispronouncing that last name. And it's called Graveyard 3.1. It's a very, very simple illustration of like just a person walking in the desert with a stick. And off in the corner is the decaying, falling apart Star Destroyer. And again, there's just something so Star Wars about it. It's so simple. It's like sunny afternoon in the void. <laughs> right, right. This would look good printed giant on your wall over your bed. Yeah, it's very subtle, and there's just something I just really love about it. And again, I think like a lot of the the choices I pick for some of my favorite things, there's just – there are things that just scream Force Awakens to me. There's just a lot visually about that movie that I love. And I don't don't care who knows it. I think a lot of people know. (laughs) So to cap it all off, we have a final closing Rick Riff, a Rick Carter freakout. I have told Kathleen Kennedy that my job is to really pay attention to the force and what I feel the force is as it represents itself in the story and the visuals of the movie so that it has a presence. 
What is the force? It's when you recognize that it was always there, like Kansas for Dorothy. But that doesn't mean that every aspect of the force is known yet. So when we get to this third act in the Star Wars series, there's more to be revealed. And that reveal is going to involve things from the past that were right in front of us all along. We didn't understand all that those things meant. And now we have to let them play themselves out. To me, that's the force. I think that sums up everything in this book and everything about this period of time, that Rick Carter was on another level than anyone and than us. And he was letting the will of the force dictate the path this this movie was going to go down. He got so into his role (laughs) as the production designer for Star Wars Episode Seven. He, for a period, he might have thought he was a Jedi. He basically, yeah, he left his body, became a ghost, and floated around from department to department, just telling people to trust the Force. He was one step away from growing his hair out Qui-Gon style. <laughs> Maybe he did, and we just didn't see pictures. Maybe he cut it when production was done. Maybe he went into the archives and found Liam's wig <laughs> and just showed up every day wearing Liam, Liam Neeson's sandy sand-covered wig. Oh. Qui-Gon's beard just showed up in the mail one day for him. Just his beard and a, and a bottle of glue. You're going to need this. Rick, we're working on uh, our 5,000th Jedi Killer illustration. What do you think? Feel, don't think. Trust your instincts. accurate for sand people only imperial stormtroopers are so precise So, folks, you know the deal with Apple Podcast Reviews. If you are listening on some sort of Apple something or other, go over there, write a little something nice about the show, and it helps the show in mysterious ways, helps us move up some of those weird charts on Apple, and it brings warm feelings to our hearts. And other things that bring warm feelings to our hearts are you checking out our website, BlastPointsPodcast.com. 
following us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you're on Facebook, make sure you're in the Super Chill Group. And if you want to support the show in a different way, we've got the Blast Points Army over there on Patreon with our weekly Bad Batch review episodes. Man, things are getting hot over there on the Bad Batch. And there's a lot of Bad Batch episodes. (laughs) (laughs) It's still going. That's all over there at the Blast Points Army. And if you already are a member of the Blast Points Army, thank you so very much for your support. But that about wraps up number 270 here. The art of the art of Force Awakens. I don't know. Like we said, if it's been a while since you've gotten out that book, flip through it. It's amazing. It's fascinating. It's a good read. There's good art. And it's always fun to go back to that magical time when everything Star Wars was a mystery. And shout out to Phil Sostak for being there, presenting it to the world. So it can be looked at for for all times. He lived it and survived and shared it with us all. Well, thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with more fun, more craziness, more weirdness. So until then, thank you everybody. Bye-bye. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. There's an episode in there. I'll make it all work. I know. I know you will. (laughs) May the force be with all of you. That's a rock.